pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. You didn't promise us this day. You gave it to us as a gift. We weren't promised that we would wake up this morning. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for the last full day of amazing camp here at Camp Tallywood. We expect you to do great things because we know that you want to. And we uh, want to be open to that. We want you to open our eyes to see you work in all of the different areas of our day today. We want you to open our hearts to hear you, to see what you're doing and to agree with and cooperate with all that you want for us. We pray for our time in the word this morning, Father, that you would again speak to our hearts, that you would communicate truth to us and that we would be attentive to you would have your way with us. We thank you, Father, for all these things. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. We are here to remember the future, yes? Remember the future. Um, the book of Revelation is broken down into three parts. We talked about that our very first day together when uh, John, the apostle, um, this is the, the disciple that Jesus loved. This is one of the sons of thunder. He's had a brother named James, and he starts this whole thing by God sucking him up into heaven and giving him a vision, saying, taking some notes here. Um, and he says, I want you to write down the things that you see, the things that are, and the things that will take place after these things. Um, in our nighttime sessions, we've been talking about the things that will take place after these things, the things in the future, the things that are yet to come. Um, in our mornings, we've been looking at those things that are now in the time that John wrote in those seven churches. And we've been write, reading in those letters that he wrote to the seven churches, and we are going to read the, church, uh, the letter to the church at Sardis. It's the beginning of Revelation chapter 3 this morning, all right? Um, it's a small letter. Um, to the church at Sardis, and this is what it says. It'll be up on the screen. Revelation chapter 3, the first few verses. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We can go back to verse 1 um, at the beginning. To the angel of the church of Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain. I remember growing up on a ranch. I grew up down South Texas. It looked a lot like this, except it was flat, okay, um, and ugly, and hotter. So it was a lot like this, but nothing like this at all, okay. And so 
that was where I grew up, down in South Texas, and we have a strip of land that has been owned by my family for a very long time. My ancestors came in on a boat um, before World War II, not to Ellis Island in um, New York area, but they sailed around Florida and sailed into Galveston from Poland. And uh, they landed in Poland and they began, or excuse me, landed from Poland in Galveston and began to just walk. They began to walk west this direction. And uh, they began, they're a bunch of Catholic folks and they were walking with their priest from Poland and they walked until God told them to stop and they built a church there and that was the community, the oldest Polish community in Texas. That's where my father was born. My mom was born right down the way and that's where we grew up. And so my father's parents and their parents had this strip of land that backed up to the San Antonio River and that's where he grew up and that is our ranch till this day. The problem is we have cattle on that ranch, and if you know anything about cattle, they are incredibly stupid animals. Anybody agree with me? We love cattle because they help pay the bills around us, but we can plant tons and tons of grass on our strip of land, and it can be barren dry on either side, and the cows will try to get from where we are to through the fence or under the fence over the fence, around the fence, to the other neighbors because they just want to be where they're not supposed to be. And so every day when my dad would come home from his full-time job, he would swing by the house. I would be done with school and done with my homework, and he would fix a sandwich. This is the way it's every day. He would fix a sandwich. He'd say, come on, Scott, let's go. And I would get into the truck, and we would drive out to the ranch because we lived a couple miles off of it. And we would go and count the cattle, and then we'd have to find the ones that got out, and get them back in. And you can imagine, if you were me, I was not very interested in doing this with my dad. I, was, I love my dad, but I didn't care to do this work after going to school and doing all this stuff. So I'd be hanging out there, and uh, we'd say, okay, there he is. Let's go get him. So I'd be walking and walking, and sooner or later, I'm just starting to slow down. I'm starting, my mind's starting to wander inevitably. And he says, hey, Scott, <laughs> son, whose team are you on here, you know? And I'm like, I'm here with you. I'm here to do, I'm here to get the cows back. He's like, sure doesn't look like it, you know. You're not helping me. I got to, you need, and he was, he would say that to me often. We would be getting these cattle. We actually invented this system to make holes in our fence just so that the cattle would get back every day or every other day. Um, But he was always telling me, hey, whose team are you on here, you know? Are you on my team? Are you trying to help me? Are you trying to do the things that I'm doing? I say, yes, dad, yes, dad. And he would always tell me, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like you got to show me by what you do that we're on the same team, right? And that began to sink in with me a little bit. I'm like, you know, just having a jersey, um, when I was a high school basketball player, um, I led our team in fouls, okay? That was not, I didn't lead it in points. I didn't lead it in minutes played. I didn't lead it in anything else. But fouls. I used all my five fouls almost every game, and uh, I was really, really good at that. I wasn't a mean player. I just didn't know how to do what everybody else was doing, and I always get in trouble. And they'd blow the whistle at me and call my number, and I'd have to raise my hand. Um, And so the coach would always say, Pollock, whose team are you on, dude? You know, it's like, you're giving points to the other team. You're not supposed to do that. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm sitting down. And uh, so I had the jersey on. Um, um, My high school was called Fall City. And our mascot was the fiercest 
mascot I've ever even heard of. In all of my years of working with high school students of anywhere, we were called the Fall City Beavers. That was, um, our cheer was chew them up, chew them up, raw, raw, raw. I'm not making that up at all, okay? Didn't that strike terror in your hearts? The other team, would, and then we'd play the Yellow Jackets or the Lions or the Panthers, and they'd be like, yeah, okay, chew them up, chew them up, raw, raw, raw. So I'd have my jersey on, and the, he would say the same thing my dad would say. You know, hey, Pollock. And of course, he was jesting a little bit more than my dad. Whose team are you on here, man? I mean, we're trying to win the game, not them. And I'm like, I'm, I'm wearing the jersey. I'm a beaver. Come on, I'm battling blue here. And he would say, act like it. Act like you're on our team here, okay? What Jesus reveals to his angel, and the angel communicates to the church at Sardis through John is the same exact thing. Saying, hey, church, this is a church of believers. We, we, would, we don't call a church, it's a group of people who gather together. They have to be largely, most of them at least, they have to be believers in Jesus. They have to have accepted his offer of life through his death on the cross. That's what we call a church, okay? We also know that no church is perfect and no church is completely 100% pure filled with believers because there's always some in there that are like, hey, I'd like to join your group, but I'm not necessarily fully engaged yet. I'm not fully faithful. I haven't put my trust, but he's still writing to the church. And what he's saying is, hey, whose team are you on, church? And the church is saying, well, we're on Jesus's team. And he's saying, act like it because I don't see it. He's not questioning their salvation. He's not telling them they're in danger of losing their salvation because we believe that you can't do that. God's grace is big enough for that. And he says, hey, you aren't acting like you should act. And there are some of you, maybe many of you here, that need to hear that this morning. Let's look at it again. We'll put it back up. It's just the first few verses. To the angel of the church of Sardis, right? He who has the seven spirits of God... These are the seven, probably, the way we would understand it, are the seven chief angels of God, okay? And the seven stars, these are the angels of the seven churches. He says this, I know your deeds and you have a name that you are alive. You have a reputation. I know your deeds. I can see everything. You remember, my eyes are like burning flames. There is nothing hidden from my sight. I see everything, and I know your deeds. I know you have a reputation for being this really, really strong individual. You have a reputation for being a really strong church. Maybe your church building is huge like ours is, like mine is back in the woodlands. Maybe your church building is huge with a huge steeple. Maybe you go to um, a church in Seoul, Korea, one of the largest churches in the world with 500 pastors and maybe they would say, man, you have a reputation for being the grandest and greatest of churches. But that doesn't mean anything. But on the inside, you're dead. Wake up and do the things that you need to do to show that you're on our team, that you're on the team of Jesus. You understand that it's not enough. God doesn't just want us to say, hey, I'm in. I trust you. 
put my faith in you. Great, now I'm good. I'm just going to stand here for the rest of my life. The truth is, God would not love you any less if you did that. God would not love you any more than he does right now if you sell yourself as a missionary in China for the rest of your life and die as a martyr. That doesn't cause him to love you anymore. But there are great, great benefits and great consequences to living a life after Jesus, to putting flesh and deeds and hard work and sweat and tears to your faith and showing everybody in the world and Jesus, man, I'm on your team and I'm gonna act like it. I'm gonna act like it. Paul would write to the Ephesians in the same way. He says, hey, consider your calling and live a life that is acceptable to your calling. Live a life that's in the same way, in the same avenue, at the same speed, at the same level as what Jesus has called you to. To be a Christian means that you represent Jesus in everything that you do, everywhere that you go, everything that you say. You are a representative of Jesus Christ. You have to take that very seriously. And he's telling the church at Sardis, hey, you got a great reputation. That's cool. But the truth of the matter is, you are dead and asleep, and you need to wake up. You need to wake up. And so some of you in here, you need to hear that this morning because you have been a Christian for a long time and that's awesome. You've placed your faith in Jesus and that's a real thing. Jesus is not questioning that. I'm not questioning that. What Jesus is writing to them is what I'm saying to you. Now, act like it. Live your life of faith out where people can see it. There are three kinds of people in this world. Do you know that? Three kinds of people in this world. Those that can count and those that can't. Okay? You got it? I'm just kidding. Three kinds of people in this world. Did you get that joke? You'll get it later. It's all right. Um, Three kinds of people in this world. I really believe the scriptures would tell us. There are those that haven't placed their faith in Jesus. We know that. All right? There are those that have placed their faith in Jesus. We would call them Christians. Believers. Their names are written in the book of life. They're going to heaven. Of this group, there are two, largely two groups inside this group. Inside this group, there are those who are by grace, with difficulty, in imperfection, trying to follow Jesus in what they're supposed to do. They're saying, man, I feel you calling me to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm trying my best by your grace. Titus chapter 2 tells us that the grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and to live for Jesus. That means grace is our tutor. Grace is our teacher. And so we do it by the power of God's grace, which is awesome. So those are those of us who are like, I want to follow you. I want to believe and act like it. Okay. Then there are others in this group of believers. Their salvation is not in question if they're genuine believers, but I think they are some of the most miserable people in the world. They put their faith in Jesus for eternal life and yet they do nothing about it. They have no interest in following him. They have no interest in listening to him. They have no interest in being a disciple of his. And therefore, they can't enjoy all of the beautiful things that he wants to do in their life. All of the beautiful rewards 
and blessings that he wants to pour out on you as you struggle to follow him. They can't enjoy sin temporarily like the rest of the world. It always goes sour, always eats you up, always kills you in the end. They can't enjoy that even temporarily, and they can't enjoy the blessing of God as you follow him. So they're stuck in the middle, and they are sometimes the most miserable people on the planet. Some of you are say, if you're honest with each other this morning, you're honest with me, you say, I think that's me. I think that's me. I'm a Christian, and again, Jesus in this letter isn't doubting that. I'm not doubting that this morning. But you would say, I haven't done anything with it. I haven't done anything with my faith. I'm not following Jesus. I don't feel like I'm a disciple of his. I'm just a Christian because of my faith. And I put it in there, but that was a long time ago, and I haven't done anything with it. I still feel like I'm on square one. Haven't taken a step of faith, haven't followed him, haven't sought his will in his word and tried to be obedient to him, continually being obedient, continually identifying areas in your life that you need to change and repent from which is what he tells the church in this letter, change your life, change your mind about these things and turn from it and obey me because obedience is where we get intimacy with Jesus from. Intimacy with Jesus is a direct result of obedience to him. So if you wanna be close to Jesus, it's not just a function of time. It's not just about being a Christian for 20 years. If you want to be close to Jesus, if you want him to make your life into something that you can't even imagine it ever being so good, it ever being so full, it ever being so exciting, then that will only happen as you obey him, as you walk with him, as you struggle by God's grace to follow him. Okay, the church in Sardis had a great reputation. Like many, many churches in America, right? We have some of the most flashy churches in America, all over every state. You can go, oh yeah, I know that church, man. I know that pastor, I have the podcast, this, and they put out books and they have a great reputation. Lots of churches in the whole world with great reputations. I wonder if, Jesus, through his angel to John, wrote a letter to our church. I wonder if he wrote a letter to my church. I'd be really really nervous what he would write. Would he say, hey, you got a great reputation, but you need to wake up. You need to wake up because you're dead inside. And you need to put one foot in front of the other in your faith as my grace is poured out on you. And I want you to follow me and be obedient If you are here at this camp, you're saying, I've been a Christian forever, and I'm getting a little tired, I'm getting a little bored, I think it's the same thing, and I have no idea how to take the next step, the answer is always obedience. If you want intimacy with Jesus, it is a function of you obeying him and following after him. We will stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ one day, all of us who believe, And he will bring before us every deed that we've done, every word that we've said, every thought that we have had. We're not in danger of going to hell, but you know what we're in danger of missing? We're in danger of missing his hand on our shoulder 
the creator of the universe, his hand on our shoulder and his piercing eyes looking into our eyes and saying, well done, well done. Good and faithful friend of mine, you are obviously on my team. You obviously listened to me and you followed me and my grace met you there and you're imperfect like everybody, but well done, well done. Welcome into my reward for you. Welcome into my home for you. This is the fruit of intimacy with Jesus. That's what he wrote to the church at Sardis. That's what I'd love for you to really, really think about today. You want to be intimate with Jesus. You want to take the next step as a believer. The answer is always obedience. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for this sharp reminder of all that you want for us. That this is not an adventure that you've called us to, that we just float along. This is not an adventure also that you need us to complete your work. It's all up to you. It's always been up to you. The victory is already won by you but you invite us into the journey and you meet us there with your great grace. And you say, this is the life that I've designed for you to represent me, to be on mission wherever we are, whether it's in a classroom or in a neighborhood or on a college campus or as an engineer, as a teacher, as a stay-at-home mom, that we are on mission all the time because we're following after you and you are on mission help us father to be obedient meet us and teach us by your grace and give us the fruit of intimacy with you that's what we want that's what our hearts long for even if we don't know it we thank you for this warning and this reminder Help us to wake up, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.